Welcome to a podcast from Alive Church in Newark. We believe that the gospel changes lives, so we hope you're ready to hear from God, be challenged and inspired. Here's our speaker for today. So, um, as Stuart mentioned, we are uh, starting a new series this morning. It's going to be a six-part series talking about what it is to partner with church, what it is to partner with God and one another, and how we can be all in for that partnership. Um, So I'm going to pray and then we're going to start, if that's all right. Lord, I thank you. I thank you uh, that you allow us to partner with you. I thank you that you want us to be in community together, that you want us to to be part of seeing your kingdom come. Pray that as I speak this morning, Lord, would it be all of you and none of me? Would what is of you stick and what is of me just fall, Lord? Amen. Cool. So partnership. Partnership and all in for me are kind of two things that are intrinsically linked. If we think about some common partnerships that we think about, they are things that conjure up this idea of being all in. So um, in a marriage, for example, that's a partnership, isn't it? And you, when you stand and you make your vows, you literally say everything that I am is yours. Everything that I have is yours. It's the idea of being all in with that. If we think about... Um, it's like buddy cop films. I love a good buddy cop film when they are partners and they, they risk their lives for one another, don't they? They are all in. They are happy to risk their life for that other person, the person that they're partnering with. Uh, if we think about business, when you have a business partner, you have an agreement with that person that you are both committed to seeing a success in that business because you need to be all in in a partnership. Otherwise, it's a recipe for disaster, no matter what that partnership looks like. And it's the same when we partner with God. It's the same when we partner with one another as part of the church. We need to be all in for that. So over the next six weeks, we're going to be looking at what it means to be all in from a biblical perspective, what it means to be all in for church. So in the New Testament, this word that kind of represents partnership is a word some of you may be familiar with, but maybe not because of the original Greek. And that is the word koinonia, not just an Indian restaurant in town. Uh, So the word koinonia um, is Greek and it means partnership. It's translated through the Bible as a number of different things uh, that all kind of come into this idea of partnership. So things like sharing, community, um, participation. It's that idea of being together, being uh, in community with one another. And John Piper defines this word koinonia and he says that koinonia is a mutual bond that Christians have with Christ that puts us in a deep eternal relationship with one another. I'm going to read that again. A mutual bond that Christians have with Christ that puts us in a deep, eternal relationship with one another. I love this. I love the idea that our relationships with one another start with Jesus. I love the idea that because we have this mutual relationship with Jesus, it automatically puts us in a relationship with one another that's not superficial and fleeting, but is a deep and eternal relationship with one another. It's something that flows much more deeply. And... um, so a few, well, probably a couple of months ago, actually, Dom got very excited because he bought a load of Bibles. It's Dom's favourite thing to do. Honestly, our house is full of them. Um, but he bought one in particular, which is called an interlinear Bible, uh, which I was super excited about. So it has the, um, the English translation of the Bible, but next to it, alongside, it has, uh, it has it written in the original language as well. So the Old Testament through in Hebrew and the New Testament in Greek. And you can kind of match across. And so I had cause to use this Bible, which was very exciting, this week to look at a passage where the word koinonia is used in the Greek. And this is from Philippians chapter 1. And this is a letter that Paul writes to the Philippians. 
Um, and it's right at the start of the letter in verse three of chapter one. And it says, I thank my God every time I remember you. In all my prayers for all of you, I always pray with joy because of your partnership. That's the word koinonia there. Your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. Paul says there that he is praying for all people in all his prayers. It's not just some of the people, it's all the people. Everyone is included, everyone is invited, everyone is encouraged to be involved. He wants to pray for everyone who is partnering in the gospel. The only way that people are excluded from that everyone is if they exclude themselves. Because Paul is praying for all people. And it's the same for us now. And I'm going to throw this challenge out there right at the start of this series that we're starting, right at the start of um, me speaking with you guys this morning. Are we excluding ourselves or do we want to be included in that, in that all prayers for all of you? Because the only way we're excluded is if we exclude ourselves. We are all invited. We are all included. We are all encouraged to be involved in partnering in the gospel, like Paul says. And so I just want to put that challenge out right at the start. Are you willing to be all in? Are you willing to include yourself? Because the only way you're excluded is if you choose to exclude yourself. So this morning, we're going to look through the book of Acts. Also, I feel like I need to apologize. I'm struggling a bit with a cold, so I'm sorry if I have to keep having some water and if I sound a bit... That's the technical term for for it. So we're going to look at the book of Acts. Uh, Now, the book of Acts um, is in the New Testament. It follows on from what happened with the early church after Jesus's uh, death, burial and resurrection. And we see what is happening in the early church. We see how the early church were empowered to be all in, all in for one another, all in for the church and all in for the gospel, all in for God as well. So that's where we're going to look through this morning. Just the first few chapters, we're going to take a bit of a journey through the first little bit of Acts. We're going to look at different areas where the Holy Spirit is working. We're going to look at the fruit of that work and how we see a church that is being added to, that is devoted, that is all in for God, that is growing and is united And we're going to see what that means for us uh, today. So we're going to start in Acts chapter 2. So just, um, I mean, there's a lot going on in Acts. We hear all sorts of stories. So I'll just let you know what's happening in Acts chapter 2. So this is where we read about the day of Pentecost. Um, So this may be a day you're familiar with. This is the day when um, a lot of Jewish people were gathered in Jerusalem for the Jewish festival of Pentecost. And there were a group of disciples gathered in a room in Jerusalem. And we see here the fall of the Holy Spirit. So we see the Holy Spirit coming on all these people like tongues of fire it says and people are able to speak in new languages and it's an incredible outpouring of the spirit and we see Peter stand up and Peter speaks boldly about who Jesus is he preaches about Jesus's death burial and resurrection and he calls people to repentance he calls people to repent and be baptized and so we're going to pick up in Acts chapter 2 verse 41 and we see here what happens when people believe what Peter is saying and it says Those who accepted his message were baptized and about 3,000 were added to their number that day. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. 
Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favour of all the people. And the Lord added to their number those who were being saved. So the Holy Spirit was adding to this church, and it says that this church were devoted. Now, to me, the word devoted, again, speaks of being all in. I don't know about you, but I am really loath to spend time on anything that I don't see the point in. If I'm like, oh, why am I even doing this? I get really frustrated about that. I want to spend my time on things I see the point in, and uh, maybe you are the same. And so to be devoted to something, to spend the amount of time that's required to be called devoted to something... It's got to be something you really see the worth in, I think. It's got to really be something that you see the point of. Because you're not going to be devoted to something that you think is completely useless, are you? Or maybe that's just me. Um, but I, I love this, this idea that the church were devoted because they saw the worth in what they were doing. They understood the truth of who Jesus was and they were devoted to it. And it calls out four things in particular there that the early church were devoted to. They were devoted to the apostles' teachings. They were devoted to fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. So what did those things look like for the early church? Well, we've heard a little bit about the apostles' teaching. I mentioned that Peter stood up and he preached. um, But we see in the text there that it's apostles' s apostrophe. So it's more than just one apostle's teaching that they're devoting themselves to. The apostles um, would have been teaching about the truth of who Jesus was. Now, I love it when you're reading through the Old Testament and you see something and you think, wow, that's pointing to Jesus. That's something that was written thousands of years before, but it points us back to Jesus. And I was thinking as I was preparing this message about these people who had been brought up with the Jewish scriptures. So the Jewish scriptures are the equivalent to what we have as the Old Testament. They would have been brought up knowing this stuff. Can you imagine how amazing it would have been to listen to someone speak about things they were so familiar with and to point them back to Jesus on it? To say that these things that we've known for years and years, that we've been passing down through generations, we have seen these things fulfilled. And we know that that is what was happening because that preach that I mentioned of Peter's, he uh, talks from the prophet Joel. He talks about how... um, in the prophet Joel it says in the last days God says I will pour out my spirit on all people and they've literally just seen that happen they've just seen God's spirit come like tongues of fire on them Peter also talks from Psalms he talks from one of David's Psalms about how um, God's speaking that his holy one will not see decay and they've just seen Jesus walk out of the grave wouldn't it have been incredible to know all this stuff to have learned all this stuff and then to see it fulfilled I just think that's incredible and those are the teachings that the early church were devoted to so the second thing that we're devoted to, sorry, <coughs> sorry, the second thing is fellowship, this idea of koinonia, this partnering, this sharing, this participation with one another, this all being in community together and it all being enabled by this mutual bond, this mutual relationship that they each had with Jesus. That was the fellowship that they were um, experiencing. And then the third thing, breaking of bread. So this is communion. This is something that we still do now, a tradition that we hold now, a sacrament that we hold now. But if we think back to the first uh, communion, the first time that Jesus went through this with his disciples, they were sat down enjoying a meal together, and it was part of that meal. And the early church as well would have sat and eaten together and taken communion together, but it's it's kind of being being together, eating together, living life together. That's what they were devoting themselves to, as well as the sacrament of communion. 
And then the last thing there is prayer, that they devoted themselves in prayer, which I think is really fitting as we start our Revive Prayer Week this week, and we will be devoting ourselves in prayer. And we see this cycle happening. So that bit in Acts that I read, we see that 3,000 were added to the number of believers on the first day. Those people were devoted. They were devoted to those four things. And then we see at the end of chapter 2, and it says, and the Lord added to their number daily those who are being saved. I love this idea that it's a cycle. The Holy Spirit added people. Those people were devoted, and the Holy Spirit added more people. And those people were devoted. And do you know what is amazing? We are part of that cycle. We are in this room today thousands of miles away from where this happened in Jerusalem because of what happened in that room in Jerusalem. We are here as a a direct consequence of these people being devoted to the gospel. It's not like there was a break in the cycle and then suddenly everyone rediscovered who Jesus was. We are part of this cycle of having a church that is added to and a church that is devoted and then is added to. I just think that is so incredible that we get to be part of something that this was written 2,000 years ago and we are still seeing it happening today. I just think that's amazing that we get to be a part of that. But God doesn't add to his church because of the fact that they're doing things that are devoted. It's not because of the fact that they are um, kind of working at it. He sees the heart behind it and what's going on. And we've spoken about this quite a bit recently, this idea that Jesus says that I will build my church and the gates of hell will not overcome it. It's Jesus that's building his church. But this devotion is still important. And the reason I think it's important, and it's not the only reason, but a reason why I think this is important, is because this devoted atmosphere, this devoted environment is inviting to people. It allows people um, an environment where they can meet with God. If we are a people who are devoted in prayer, if we're devoted in teaching and learning about God, if we are a community of believers that understand what it is to live life together, to be together, to share together, that creates an environment where people can come into that and they can see who God is. They can see the work of the Holy Spirit in each of us, transforming us, and they can have a safe place to start that journey themselves with Jesus. It's not about us doing more stuff so that God adds more people. It's about us creating an environment for people to meet with God and so that God can do then what only he can do that we create this environment of devotion and it allows us to be part of keeping this cycle going of the Holy Spirit adding. And we see it daily across the world, people being added to God's kingdom. The Holy Spirit adds and we are devoted. So we see in chapter four, another example of the church being filled with the Holy Spirit. So this is in Acts chapter four, verse 31 and 32. And it says, after they prayed, The place where they were meeting was shaken, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and spoke boldly. All the believers were one in heart and mind. No one claimed that any of their possessions was their own, but they shared everything they had. It talks there about how they were filled with the Holy Spirit, and then immediately after we read about the church being united in heart and mind, being one of heart and mind. But what does that really mean? What does it mean to be of one heart and mind? Well, if we look back into the Old Testament, we very rarely see this idea of heart and mind as separate. We see everything as being the heart. And that's because in the Old Testament, the writers there didn't really have a concept of the fact that the brain was where thought happened. Everything they believed happened in the heart. And so to learn about what it is to be of one mind, we can look back into the Old Testament at what 
a heart look like? Does that make sense? So in the Old Testament, there were four functions of the heart. The first one is to keep your body alive. Pretty important. The second one is what we would now think of as things that are the mind. So we read about how you know in your heart, you understand in your heart. In Proverbs, it talks about how we discern wisdom with our hearts. We, um, we read about Solomon and how he worked out truth from error with his heart. So these are things that we think of now as being mind and what Luke, when he was writing Acts, would have meant by being of one mind. It's this idea that we're of one understanding of who Jesus is. We're of one knowledge. We're of one truth. We drink from the same wisdom. We are of one mind. We have the same truth of who Jesus is. So the third function of the heart, after being um, physical and um, intellectual, is that it is where your emotions are. It's where you feel things. In fact, the idea of a broken heart actually comes from biblical Hebrew. That phrase that we use now is a biblical phrase of having a broken heart. We see um, not just um, sorrow and pain coming from the heart in the Bible, but also things like joy. We read in Psalms as well about how the psalmist writes, my heart is glad within me. All those emotions are all in our hearts. And we get a little glimpse of what it is to be of one heart from an emotional perspective when we read Paul's letter to the Romans. And it says in there that we rejoice with those who rejoice and we mourn with those who mourn. It's the idea that when someone is suffering, we as a body suffer with them because we're of one heart when someone has a success and they are joyful and they are happy and they're glad their heart is glad within them our hearts are glad within all of us because we celebrate together we grieve together but we celebrate together that's this idea of being of one heart when it comes to emotion. And then the final one is that our heart is where our choices come from. Our choices that are motivated by our desires and our affections, those things come from our hearts. We read about how King David had it on his heart to build a temple. That was something that was a desire of his heart. It talks, I want to say Proverbs, about how um, God will give us the desires of our hearts. It's this idea that our heart wants for things, it longs for things, and we make choices out of those desires. So to be of one heart means to be motivated by the same desires and affections. And we see this, this is what it's saying that the early church were, they were devoted in heart and mind. And our hearts and our minds, kind of those things I've just been through, they kind of cover everything that comes to do with how we feel, how we think, what we do. Those, well, excuse me, those things all come from our heart and our minds. And we see a church who were united, unified in heart and mind, in the way that they thought, they felt, and the way they were motivated. And this has to be a move of the Holy Spirit, doesn't it? It's very difficult, I think, to be, um, to be united in heart and mind with one other person. When two people, we are very different from every other person. And so to have two people who are completely united in heart and mind can be really difficult. But to have an entire church who are united in heart and mind, that can only happen through a move of the Holy Spirit. We read here about how this church was filled with the Holy Spirit and they were united in heart and mind. But we know that the Holy Spirit does unite us. It says in 1 Corinthians 12, verse 13, for we were all baptized by one spirit so as to form one body. 
The Spirit brings us into this body. The Spirit allows us to experience this koinonia, this community, this sharing and participation. And the Spirit allows us to be united with one another in heart and mind. And that doesn't mean that we are clones of one another. Far from it. God has created each one of us uniquely. He's created each one of us with different passions, different skills. Um, with diff- we've each had different life experiences that have shaped us and molded us. And God wants us to be different and individual, but he wants us to be united in heart and mind. And we can do this because, like I say, of the Holy Spirit and the fact that we have Christ in common. We have a common goal. We have a common mission, which is to go and make disciples. So if it's not to be clones, what is it then that we should be united in? And it's those things we just talked about, the idea of being of one understanding, that we together here have a mutual understanding of who God is, of who Jesus is, of what God is calling us to do, of who Jesus is calling us to be. When we're of one understanding of that, those things can be different one to another, but we have that core understanding of who Jesus is and what he wants for us. The second thing is that, like I said, we celebrate together, we grieve together, we um, experience joy together, we we move as one in that way. The third thing is that we are joined in the way that we... um, We have the same purpose, like I said, to go and make disciples and that we're motivated by the same thing, which is to see God's kingdom come. And all this is only only possible through the one spirit who brings us into one body as Paul writes in Corinthians. That is what a church that is united in heart and mind looks like. And we see the consequences of this in, um, in Acts um, from in verse in chapter four, verses 32 to 35. When I was practicing this at home, I didn't have a microphone. I didn't think about it. It's going to be fine. So chapter 4, verses 32 to 35. It says, all the believers were one in heart and mind. Uh, No one claimed that any of their possessions was their own, but they shared everything they had. With great power, the apostles continued to testify to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. We see here that ministry was enabled to be released because of the fact that they were one of heart and mind. It says that God's grace was so powerfully at work in them all that there were no needy persons among them. Having a unified heart and mind allowed for the grace of God to abound, for the provision of, provision of God to abound. We see here that from time to time, those who owned land or houses sold them, brought the money from the sales and put it at the apostles' feet, and it was distributed to anyone who had need. It's this idea of caring for one another, making sure that no one is without, making sure that everyone is cared for. That's what it is to be of one heart and mind. It's to do, as Jesus said, to love each other as as ourselves. I think all of those things really... Or to do with sharing, sharing Jesus with one another and sharing what we have and who we are with one another. And I think that that is what a church that is united in heart and mind looks like today or should look like today. This idea of sharing Jesus. There is incredible power in sharing testimony. Incredible power. We had a time before, and Don mentioned it earlier actually, we had a time before our service together this morning as we prayed together as a team, and we had people come forward and testify to what God had done in their lives over this weekend at one event. And it is so encouraging, it is so powerful to see what God is doing. When we see people coming through situations, it helps us to lift our eyes from where we are. It helps us to lift our eyes to a God who is greater than the situations we're in. 
when we hear stories of God's goodness and God's grace and God's mercy, it encourages us. It builds our faith. There is incredible power in that testimony. When we call out what we see God doing in other people, that is so powerful as well. And we share with people, you know, I really see that God is doing this in you, that God is building you up in this way, that God is working on you in this area. It's encouraging to people. There is incredible power in that. But not only should we be sharing Jesus with one another and between ourselves and out into the community, but we should be sharing our lives with one another. We should be um, sharing meals together, sharing our burdens with one another, praying for one another, inviting people into our homes, being generous with our time, being hospitable to one another. That idea that we are sharing our lives together, that we're not just living separate lives during the week and then coming together on a Sunday and then going out and leading separate lives again, but that we are sharing, that we are united in heart and mind because we are all in a mutual relationship with Jesus. Now, that's just a glimpse of what unity in the spirit could look like. And unity is not the only thing that the Holy Spirit brings. The Holy Spirit, we also see through scripture, empowers. It empowers the early church uh, for signs and wonders. And we're going to move on in Acts Acts chapter 5, where we see some of this. So from uh, in verse 12, it says, The apostles performed many signs and wonders among the people. And moving to verse 15, it says, As a result, people brought the sick into the streets and laid them on beds and mats so that at least Peter's shadow might fall on some of them as he passed by. Crowds gathered also from the towns around Jerusalem, bringing their sick and those tormented by impure spirits, and all of them were healed. All of them were healed. We see through Acts these stories of incredible moves of God, but we see that these that when God is moving like that, it it often attracts the attention of people who would seek to harm what is going on. We see um, Jewish leaders rising up and saying, we don't want this. We see story after story of people being arrested, people being beaten, people being put to death because they're proclaiming who Jesus is. Persecution in the early church was rife, and we read about it in Acts. And we read about it in part of it in chapter 5 here. We read about how uh, the apostles are preaching who Jesus is and they are arrested um, by the Sadducees and they're brought in front of the Sanhedrin. The Sanhedrin were the Jewish leaders of the time and they were brought in front of them and they were put into prison. And um, in the night, an angel came and released them and said, go out from here and in the morning, I want you to preach who Jesus is in the temple. And so um, they do that. They leave the prison, um, they go in the morning and preach and the Jewish leaders are confused as to how they're out and why they're out and they arrest them again and they say we, we told you not to preach who Jesus was and they beat them and they order them again stop it stop preaching about Jesus stop it and they let the apostles go and what I think is incredible is that then in the last two verses of chapter five it says the apostles left the Sanhedrin rejoicing because they'd been counted worthy of suffering disgrace for the name. Day after day, in the temple courts and from house to house, they never stopped teaching and proclaiming the good news that Jesus is the Messiah. Now that's being all in, isn't it? This idea that you would be willing to risk everything, not just your life, but the safety of those around you, to proclaim who Jesus is. That is all in, isn't it? And the fact that they were rejoicing about it, they were rejoicing about the fact that they've been counted worthy 
of suffering persecution because of Jesus. And we see this through the Gospels. We see it through Jesus's life. We see him performing incredible signs and miracles, preaching about the kingdom of God. We see through the um, book of Acts, we see the apostles carrying on with that preaching and performing incredible signs and wonders. But right alongside that, the whole time is this persecution. That is why Jesus ended up dying because of persecution. It's why we see such awful things happening to the early church. But these people were all in. They were sold out for what Jesus was doing. They believed so fervently in who Jesus was. They'd seen it with their own eyes and they believed it so much that they were willing to risk everything. They were completely sold out for the gospel. Now, we don't face that level of persecution in this country at the moment, but we do have... There are people, Christians across the world, that are facing levels of persecution that are beyond what we have seen uh, with our own eyes. People who now are sold in, who are all out for the gospel. And I sometimes think to myself, what would I do? If that was happening in Newark, what would I do? And maybe you've thought the same thing sometimes. What would I do? And sometimes we push it from our minds, don't we? We think, well, that's not happening, so I don't need to think about it. But I think if each of us were truthful... In our own strength, the answer would be no. No. But fortunately, we don't do it in our own strength. And the early church didn't do this. They didn't withstand this persecution in their own strength. Our brothers and sisters across the world at the moment, they are not withstanding this persecution in their own strength. But they are empowered by the Holy Spirit to be sold out for what God is doing. And we need to be empowered by the Holy Spirit to really be sold out for God. We need to be relying on him, trusting in him. We need to be praying to see signs and wonders and believing that we're going to see them. We need to be lifting things up in prayer. We need to be moving in the spiritual gifts that God has given us. And that's, it is things like speaking out prophecies and speaking uh, words of knowledge and um, all those things that we read about. But it's also the really practical gifts and skills that God has given us as well. We need to allow him to empower us and work through us for those things. Because it's only through the empowering of the Holy Spirit that we can be fully sold out for what God is doing. That we can fully experience what God is doing. Now we know through scripture that the work of the Holy Spirit is so important. It's so important. We see, uh, particularly in the New Testament, this pouring out of the Spirit. We see how the Holy Spirit was adding to the church. We see how the early church were being filled with the Spirit. They were able to speak in new languages. We see them being empowered to perform signs and wonders and to proclaim the gospel so uh, fervently, so fearlessly. We see the Holy Spirit doing those things, but alongside it, the church is always partnering with the Holy Spirit. There's always this partnership. There's always this body of people who are all in for what God is doing. We see them being devoted. We see them being devoted to the apostles' teaching, to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. We see them, we see them being united in heart and mind. We see them living together, loving together. And we see a church who are sold out for the gospel, who are willing to risk everything. But it's always this partnership, this move of the spirit, followed with the move of the church that is partnering. And the incredible thing is, that the God we read about, the spirit that we read about, is the same God, the same spirit that is working in us now. That's, 
that God did not stay in these pages, when we read through Acts and we read then through the New Testament where Paul is writing to different churches, that wasn't and isn't the only place where the Holy Spirit is moving. The Holy Spirit lives and dwells within each one of us. The same Spirit that allowed Peter to stand up and preach the gospel. The same Spirit that allowed signs and wonders to abound in the early church. The same Spirit that empowered the early church to withstand everything that they withstood so that we could be in this room to day praising God I think that's incredible that this same spirit is for us now and like I said right at the start the only way that we are excluded from that is if we exclude ourselves we are all encouraged we are all invited we are all welcomed into the family of God we are all invited to be all in the only way that we are not is if we exclude ourselves And so in a moment, as I bring this to a close, um, there are two things that I want us to do in response, if that's okay. So it might be that uh, you are sat here today and um, it's not that you're necessarily excluding yourself, it's just that you've never thought to include yourself. Maybe you've never thought about the idea of being part of God's family before. Maybe you've never thought about what it is to have this mutual relationship with Jesus that I spoke about that brings you into this community. Well, I'm going to give you an opportunity this morning uh, to, to change that, to decide, you know, I'm, I'm, I want to include myself in this. I want to uh, know more about who God is. I want to start this relationship with Jesus. So in a moment all together, we're going to read a prayer that comes up on the screen um, and we're going to read that together. And then I'm going to ask us all to close our eyes and bow our heads. And if that is you that wants to include yourself this morning for the first time, I just want you to raise your hand just so that I can see uh, who you are and make sure that we can have a chat afterwards. But the second thing that I would like us to do in response is I'm going to pray in a moment. And if you're deciding that at the start of this series, at the start of the fact that we are uh, being called to be all in, all in for what God is doing, all in for what God is doing through the church and through each one of us. I'm just going to invite us, if we feel like we can do that, if we feel like we are ready to be all in, I'm just going to ask us to stand and then I'm going to pray and then we will have a time of worship. And if you feel as though there is something that is stopping you from being all in, uh, it could be anything. It could be fear. It could be um, that you've thrown yourself all into something in the past and that thing has not gone well for you. It could be all sorts of stuff. Can I encourage you at the end of the service to just um, come down here on my left-hand side. There'll be a prayer team there. They would love to pray through some of those things with you. And that doesn't mean that you have to commit there and then to, yes, I'm going to be all in for this. But we want you to feel as though you can have a full experience of who God is and what God is doing. And anything that is blocking that... We want to pray with you. We want to work through that with you because we are a community. We have koinonia. We have this idea that we are in it together. We are sharing. We are all participating and we want you to participate in that as well. So if you do feel like there's something stopping you, please do come and pray with us after the service. So we're going to read the the prayer that comes up on the screen and then we're going to pray. Thank you, God, for loving me before I ever loved you. Thank you, Jesus, for dying on the cross for me. Thank you that I can get connected to you now because you are alive today. I admit that I have lived my life without you and have messed up. 
I ask for your total forgiveness and I commit myself to you. Help me to submit my life to your teaching and direction from now on. I receive you into my life and ask you to fill me with your Holy Spirit. Amen. That's all from us today. Thanks for listening. We pray you have a great day.